0: tell you how wonderful it is to be here. I mean, you all inspire me so much, and I was enjoying um, our worship last night, and just, oh my gosh, thinking of the kingdom, and everybody praising God, and you know, the, the I don't know, the call that pe- that God has on people's lives, you know, and everybody's here listening to him, and what is next? How can I serve you more? And it was just, you know, it's great to look, look across the audience and, and see everyone, and um, so it's just a privilege for me to share with you today. Thank you so much. Um, I hope that you find something uh, new, but or maybe something that you have, you already know, but you are refreshed in that, um, you know, and, and something to reflect on today. Um, and I'll go ahead and pray and then do my an introduction. So let's let's join uh, together with the Lord. God, we thank you for being present with us. Lord, as we journeyed here, as we have listened, God, thank you for your inspiration of your Holy Spirit. And God, we fully uh, trust you uh, for where you will lead us next. And I just pray that you will speak through this time together in each one's heart and where you're calling and just affirm your message. And we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my name is Debbie Doty, and I um, serve with Medical Teams International. We're a Christian relief and development organization based in Portland, Oregon. We have been around for about 35 years, and we um, focus in uh, three regions of the world, Asia, Latin America, and Africa, and work in about 30 to 40 countries. Just depends on, you know, um, our different partnerships. We have offices in five countries. And... um, one of the main things that we do is deploy medical and dental and non-medical volunteers. And we've been doing that for 35 years. We began doing that uh, with with the the refugees that were coming out of Cambodia into Thailand. And we were founded by a Christian businessman who... um, And was sitting listening to the news and looked over at his daughter and said, my my goodness, that could be my daughter that's, you know, sitting in that refugee camp. And so he was inspired to begin MTI, Medical Teams International. And from that, the first team went out, and we've been doing that ever since. We send out over 2,000 volunteers a year and um, over almost 200 teams uh, to all of these various different locations, some in areas that we are directly implementing programs in, and many places that we're working alongside partners. Uh, my background is that I, uh, before coming to MTI, I was a missionary with Christian Missionary Fellowship. We worked in Kenya for 10 years among the Maasai people, and then God brought us back to the States, and I uh, was lucky to uh, find an organization where I could serve. And God put me into MTI working in our Latin America programs. And I kind of thought, wow, that's kind of funny that I have this background in Africa and you put me into Latin America. But it was a rich, rich time. And then I began in about 2002, 2003 to develop our programs, more of our programs in Africa. And recently I just transitioned into a new position um, as the Senior Advisor for Strategic Partnerships. And that's something I have always enjoyed about the work I've done, and that is to come along uh, local organizations, other non-government organizations, other Christian organizations, and say, how can we do our work together and be more effective? Uh, how can we steward God's resources together? And look at that. So uh, that's kind of where um, a little bit of my background. I've been with MTI for 16 years. Uh, kind of scary when you, <laughs> you look back at that. <clears throat> I'm married. I have two adult children. And I have six grandchildren, <clears throat> and that's um, a new stage of life that is just such a delight. I can't tell you. I never even anticipated how fun that would be. And um, <clears throat> I was just thinking the other day, my, the oldest granddaughter just went to kindergarten, and she came home, and she's got all this newfound knowledge. And you know how fun that is. She's got to share everything with you. And they were having a discussion around the dinner table, and they were saying, yeah, to, today at school she said we learned about that people eat bugs. And of course, her sisters and everybody are looking at her bugs. People eat bugs, and so they went to talk about yeah, and even bats. So of course, you know, a bit of the Ebola thing was even getting into kindergarten, and they were talking about and some people eat different kinds of insects. And my daughter said, yeah, and people eat spiders. And uh, the, the the oldest granddaughter said, they do. Where where do they eat spiders? And <clears throat> the middle granddaughter, she's um, she'll be three now, four in January. She goes. Well, in California. <laughs> so such wisdom from these kids. So it's such a, such a delight. So I, um, I just wanted to share that because that's such a, a fun thing. And we, we, you might discover today maybe that people eat spiders in California. But I do, I do hope that you find something new and uh, challenging. And I'm going to apologize for my voice. <clears throat> I got laryngitis about two weeks ago. And I have been praying for two weeks that I would be able to speak to you today, so bear with me. I'm sorry, it's kind of scratchy, so hopefully we'll get through this. Um, And it is my delight to be here today. Thank you so much. We're going to talk about trends in community health. There are many things going on around the world, and so I picked out a few that I would like to share with you. And I know that... um, you know, when we look at community health, we often look at it as, oh well, there's community health and then there's health at the at the health facility, and how do these relate? And I hope that you know we'll we'll, we'll discover uh, the connection today. Um, I'd like to start out uh, with this overview of where we're going. you know let's let's look a little bit at what is health anyway. How can we best improve the health of people and help them stay healthy? What is community based primary health care? and then three trends in community-based primary health care, and then let's just think about what are our next steps. So this morning, how would you define health? What are some ideas? As with This is a health conference. Many of you are health professionals. How would you define health if you were going to tell somebody what health is? Holistic approach. Holistic approach. And what, and what do you mean by that? Physical mental. Okay. Our physical, mental, social, okay. Um, And how does that come together to make one healthy? It's all aspects. Okay, good. Other ideas? Uh Uh-huh, yeah. It's not just the lack of disease. Not just the lack of disease. Okay, good. Very good. Other ideas? Yes. Permits functioning in whatever capacity. Okay, exactly. It permits functioning for that person to function and hopefully at a very uh, high level of functioning health. Well, as we go on and we look at that, there are various definitions, and I think you all that have contributed uh, really touched on some of those. Uh, Health is a dynamic condition from the body's constant adjustment uh, and adaptation in response to stresses and changes in the environment, for maintaining an inner uh, equilibrium called homeostasis. Okay, that's a lot of words, but pretty much was summed up in what uh, what was just said. Uh, also, I kind of looked up the word. You know, what is health? How do they how do they define that in a dictionary? Well, wholeness, which was mentioned, wholeness, being sound, being well. So I want us to think about what brings health, wholeness. Go to the WHO, World Health Organization definition of health. And they came up with this definition, I think it's really great, a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being. This is the the World Health Organization, and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity, which I think Ashley mentioned. Um, It's a fundamental human right. And that's one of the things I think we overlook sometimes. Health is a fundamental human right and that the attainment of the highest possible level of health is a most important worldwide social goal. And we know we come together for wholeness for another reason, uh, because that's God's intention for each person. Um, And its realization requires the action of many social and economic sectors in addition to health. So it's not just a very uh, vertical thing that we're talking about here, and it's not just what we get when we go to the clinic. But health involves all of life. And this came out of the declaration from Alma-Ata in 1978, and WHO called this Health for All. And I have to say that the exciting thing that when this declaration was made was some of our key missionaries were at this conference and influenced this decision with WHO. And so it's got a rich, rich heritage behind it, that when we look at it and we think, oh, well, you know, that's just, you know, a WHO definition, but let me tell you, it was informed from a very Christian background and led to this d- definition. Uh, then there was a bit of a change and a little bit more added to that definition, uh, a resource for everyday life, not the objective of living. We just don't want to be healthy but for health's sake, but it's a resource. Health is a positive concept emphasizing social and personal resources as well as physical capacities. So we've, we've looked at that, but how would we, what would we say is health from a biblical perspective? Does anybody have some comments on that? As you've looked at that. We've talked about some of those aspects, and I wanted to draw out a few scriptures here that talk about the wholeness of health. Um, you know, we all know out of Psalm 139, 14, body and soul, I am marvis, marvis, marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation, fearfully and wonderfully made. So, again, you know, a revelation in, in uh, the wholeness there. Uh, Jeremiah uh, 33, God promises, I will heal my people and will let them enjoy abundant peace and security. John 10, 10 I came that they may have life and have it to the full, life in abundance. Mark 7:30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. So, when we frame out and we're going to talk about health, this gives us a good mental picture of what health is. And you know, it's all of life. It encompasses all of life. And when we're serving in our communities, and we see individuals who are suffering from some kind of illness, we, are, we may look at their illness, but let's also think about the fullness of, of uh, life for them in all aspects, holistically. <clears throat> well, when we look at uh, the world's statistics on health, uh, in spite of sustan- substantial progress in improving the health of populations, more than 10 million children and 580,000 Uh, 585,000 pregnant women are dying each year from readily preventable or treatable conditions. So this is a task before us. The people are suffering. They're incomplete. Their health is not full around the world. So let's look at some of that. How can we best improve the health of people and help them stay healthy? So improve their health and help them stay healthy. What are some of the things that you have come across? How can we improve the health of people? Education. Education. Very good. Uh huh. Yeah. Clean water. water. Mhm. A basis of it can be transmitting a lot of diseases, so clean water is very very important. Other ideas. Focusing so on prevention. Prevention. Okay. Very good. And I think when we think about community health, prevention is a big component of that. So not only the treatment but the prevention. <laughs> Any other ideas? Health or economic status. Okay, economics. Okay, so we've, we've mentioned, you know, physically. We've looked at economically. What else can we do to improve health and help people stay healthy? Nutrition. Okay, yes, because malnutrition is underlying many, many of the illnesses that children uh, suffer from that is preventable and can be treated. So thinking about around those lines. We're fearfully and wonderfully made, but we live in a complex, dynamic, and fallen world. So we're affected by all the things going on in the world. We want to have whole and healthy people, but we have a milieu in which many things are going on, social, physical, political, economic. Um, And we know just thinking about Ebola and how that is totally... Uh, affected, you know, it's not just uh, an illness. It's not just an epidemic that's going on. It is absolutely affecting all of life. And so how do we approach to bring health into that situation? Is it just the treatment or are we looking holistically? About 800 women die each day from preventable causes related to pregnancy and childbirth. Some of those causes can be severe bleeding, infections, high blood pressure, complications from delivery, um, unsafe abortion. Well, why why do pregnant women not get the care that they need? What are some of the reasons that would prevent pregnant women from getting the care they need? Lack of resources, access to resources. Okay, good. Lack of resources, access to resources. What might one of those resources be? Prenatal care, mm-hmm. very good. Other ideas? Yeah. Lack of transportation. Uh-huh. Yes, lack of transportation. They're way, way out in a, a rural area, a rural community, and there's no transportation, or if there is, they can't afford it. worldview. Worldview, exactly. Some of their beliefs and practices may be counter uh, to going to, uh, to seek care. Any other ideas? Okay, good. I don't know if everybody heard her, but she said law, lack of equal rights concerning their, her, a woman's decisions. And this is very true in many communities and many cultures where the women do not have any uh, control over what they get to do with their bodies. And so everything depends on if their husbands or the community allows them to seek care. Uh, and so it's very difficult that cultural, it becomes a cultural barrier for them to access health. Well, some of the obstacles to maternal health we've mentioned here. Lack of access to a health facility. It might be in such a rural area and there is no clinic in that area. So even if she wanted to go, there would be no place to go to get antenatal care. Lack of transportation has been mentioned. Poor quality of care. There may be a clinic there, but maybe the the clinician is not trained. Maybe there is no medicines. Uh, Maybe the clinician just comes and goes uh, when they feel like it. They don't show up at the clinic every day. Uh, There's not 24-7 care for pregnant women. Uh, There could be lack of knowledge. Um, Women just don't know what they need to do to to have children, to have safe babies, to uh, what we call safe motherhood. Um, And, of course, cultural practices and beliefs. And we look at 18,000 children die every day from preventable causes. These are the things that are motivating us. These are the things that are happening uh, that we want to get involved with. Um, so, what are the major causes of death in children under five? Prematurity, um, you know, in that new neonatal area. Communicable diseases, diarrhea, pneumonia, malaria. Well, what prevents a mother from getting care for her sick child? All the same reasons, exactly. A lot of those same reasons exist. Um, I uh, was working in, just to give you some examples of this, working in Liberia, uh, and we were out in a rural area, and we were traveling down the road, and so we thought, well, we'll stop in this community. And we were at the clinic, walked into the clinic, and everybody was fine. They were greeting us, you know, and saying hello Meanwhile, in a back room, a mother was in labor and had been in extended, prolonged, protracted labor. And finally, as we were getting to getting ready to leave, and they hadn't mentioned anything, they said, "Oh, by the way, there's this woman. Um, she's having trouble, and we we're just wondering um, because you know you're uh, you have a doctor with you. Could you uh, help us with this delivery?" Well, our doctor was not one that could practice and do that, but went in and looked, and it's poor mother. The baby was coming out breech but actually had a leg that was coming. The baby was presenting with a leg out. Okay, what do we do? We're we're miles from a, a clinic that could do anything to, you know, support this emergency situation. So we thought we'll call on our cell phone and get somebody, you know, to come because there was an ambulance at this health center not far away. So we got out our cell phones and no coverage. And they said, oh, well, you can walk to the top of that hill. Well, you know, we, so we walked about half a mile up to the top of the hill to get cell coverage. We alerted the health center. We said, okay, it's not, there's not enough time for you to come here and then there. So I stayed behind, and some of our staff loaded this mama into our vehicle and took her and drove her to the clinic, uh, to the health center. And they unfortunately lost the baby in the process, but the mother survived. That was just heartbreaking to come across that. But why did that happen? I mean, she had come... To the, health, to the clinic, but she didn't come early enough and she wasn't being monitored or they would have known what the presentation of the baby was and they could have sent her ahead to the health center. But even that would have taken transportation and somebody would have had to pay for that. Uh, and would the, would the husband have invested in the mother going there? Uh, the mother had to know to come to the clinic to get antenatal care. Was she doing that even though she lived in the community? She had access to the clinic. Would she come? You know, she may have relied more on the traditional birth attendant. Oh, this is how my family has always done that, and I'm, I'm not going to go there, even though health care was free uh, for mothers. So there's lots of different things that prevent that. And then that child, and, uh, you know, was in danger, lost the child's life, the mother survived. But these are really, you know, it, it's complicated. It isn't just that we have a clinic. We build a clinic, and people will come, and we'll save lives. There's a lot of other factors involved, and that's why community health and looking at community health is really important. So, again, lots of the same things um, are obstacles to child health, access to a facility, transportation, quality of care at the facility, knowledge, even shortage of trained um, health workers and cultural practices. Well, let's look at primary health care, because I think many of us here are looking at primary health care. Uh, which gives priority to health education and preventive care to individual and community participation to improve health. This is from uh, Margaret Chan from the director of WHO. Uh, in 2008, the World Health Report advocated for renewal of the Alma-Ata, remember the whole uh, health for all, uh, with a declaration to bring, it back to ba- bring balance back to health care and put families and communities at the hub of the, the health system. So, again, we often think like if we, be, we build a clinic, they'll come and we'll, we'll, they'll, their health will improve. But really, we want to focus on families and communities and look at that whole full spectrum. Um, with uh, the community be developing solutions and, uh, you know, owning what those will be, how can we bring those two together? Primary health care will not succeed unless we can generate participation, from individuals, families and communities, but this community participation will not work unless there is support from the health system. So what are we looking at? Let's let's try to frame out what does that health system look like? We're here, we want to pe- help people to have a healthy life. The center of that is the household and the community with support from the health system. The health system is not going to bring health. It's, the focus is the household and the community. So that's why we focus on community health. And it takes all of these pieces to work together. So we have the health facility, the clinic. This is one in, from the Episcopal Church in South Sudan. And the church started this clinic, and they opened up the clinic, um, and they wanted to save the lives of women and children. So at that point, MTI came alongside of them to develop a a community health program and trained community health workers. Uh, There were supervisors, community health workers, who went out into the communities and then shared messages about health, household to household. They had group sessions as well as talking to each household. And in this method, um, then their education was going on in the communities, but also there was the health facility so that when there were complications, there was a need for antenatal care. The facility was there. So it's a system. It has to work together. You can't have a clinic and then no one accessing the clinic. But you can't have the the people in the community, and then they don't have any way to get to to the clinic. So we have to look at the whole system. Well, we consider the household, the household and the community. Um, The the picture there on your right is uh, a health promoter uh, bringing the community together to talk about maternal health. And it was really interesting. This is in South Sudan. And uh, this community session, as you will see, there are men there. So we think of, oh, well, if you're going to talk about maternal health, you are just going to go talking to the mamas. But it was really critical because of the reason of, the cultural practices and men having more control over the a woman as a resource and not investing in them—that they hear these messages too. And I was—I re- got a, a big chuckle out of a man there because you know the less they gave the lesson, and this man raised his hand. and He said, "Well, I have a problem. My wife is just grouchy. She's pregnant." She's grouchy. She's demanding. She has never been like this before, and this is a problem. You know, what can we do? What, how, what am I supposed to do with her? And so, he, you know, this pregnant mom, uh, wife was really giving him a, a problem in his life, and so we were able, able to share, you know, some of the physiological changes that go on, and this is normal, and, how, and we had an opportunity then from his question to enter in and to say, you need to support your wife not complain about her but and these are the ways that you can support her. But I was really like, yeah, you know, we hear that here in our cul- our culture as well. <clears throat> so what is community-based primary health care? Health is not found at the clinic exclusively, it starts in the home and in the community. And health is attained by the individual and community living in right relationship with God, others and creation. So it's that holistic perspective. And health involves a complex tapestry of factors, culture, religion, access, infrastructure, knowledge, leadership, policy. It's a complicated thing. Health cannot be achieved only through the provisions of the health system, but is the whole process of all the influences that determine health by the people. And this was by Dr. Carl Taylor uh, who worked for many years at Johns Hopkins, um, but he was also a missionary. And out of his experience as a, a missionary physician, uh, really contributed to a lot of our understanding of primary health care, community-based primary health care, and under uh, this health for all model. And that health encompasses all of life. So what is community-based primary health care? It refers to approaches that improve links between the health facility and the community while empowering community groups to take action to improve their own health. And I think this is something we've even forgotten here in the U.S. uh, now. You know, we have a lot of discussion about health care, you know, Obamacare, all of that kind of thing going on. And what we've forgotten is where does health lie? It lies in the individual. And yet... You know, the expectation is, oh, well, I just go get a pill, it'll make me feel better. You know, uh, all of my health problems will be solved by the health health system in America. We need to take that back. Um, And sometimes I think we need to do more community-based primary health care here. We need to do more community health prevention and education uh, in our own culture. When you think about it, it's like, gosh, we should implement a lot of these things in our own communities. And I think um, there are, uh, you know, uh, Groups that are doing that, that are really, really important. I think the um, Neighborhood Transformation that Che is doing here has, addresses a lot of these things, diabetes, high blood pressure, but is bringing that education back to the community and empowering them because they need to take the action to be healthy. It can't just be at the at the facility. Here we see a picture of A health promoter in South Sudan, she's sitting with a bunch of women. She has a picture. She's talking about maternal health. They're all gathered around listening very, very intently. How can they get health for themselves and their children? Growing evidence from many countries supports the concept that community-based approaches can be highly effective in improving the health of populations, especially when those approaches are connected to other community-based activities for social and economic improvement. So we know that health is a component, but it should be integrated into all that we do. So we're working with churches in the community to help them to understand that health is not at the, at the health facility, but health is something that people get for themselves. It's a, uh, you know, it's a human right, but it's also where God would want us to be whole people, to be healthy people in all those realms, each of those areas of our life redeemed. Uh, Community-based approaches also promote empowerment of the individual community, social justice, equity, community participation, many, many different things. One of the really exciting things about community health and empowering either the community health worker or the household health promoter is that they have a lot of dignity because they, are, they learn, but they are able to share that knowledge, and they become a resource person in their community. And when you think about working with the local church and those community health promoters coming out of the church, they, they have a wonderful and ready opportunity to share about you know, what, what God's intention is for that the whole person. So it's really important to think about um, these aspects of community-based health. It's their locally defined needs. It involves participation. It involves equi- equipping. And so I'd like to share with you now some trends in community health. And one is really more of um, a a model or uh, a framework, and the others are more of the content. But I hope that um, you will seriously think about some of these these models and (coughs) trends you all are having the wonderful opportunity to get involved in medical missions. And many of you are in fields, either going, you know, you're you're in the clinical side preparing for that to talk to um, Ashley. She's involved. She's looking at public health. As you move further into that realm and learning, um, I hope that some of these things, you'll, you'll encounter them. I also just want to bring them up for those of you who have been serving Uh, around the world in short-term missions and doing medical work and have been maybe providing direct care, direct services, clinical services. Um, Hopefully this will expand your understanding a little bit of that wholeness of health and that um, what we can do um, to reach more people, empower people in the communities, and give them a resource to get their own health. But we also know that the clinic is is very, very important. so three things I'd like to share with you. One is called care groups, the, and that is more um, the model. And then two of the con- two things that would be more of the content of how these care groups would function, uh, what messages they would bring. Community-based integrated management of childhood illnesses, and this is based on the uh, IMCI. IMCI is integrated management of childhood illnesses. I don't know if. Um, You have heard of that before, but Integrated Management of Childhood Illnesses, they realize that if you're just talking uh, and trying to just provide and improve health by, okay, let's do immunizations, we're going to go out, we're going to do immunizations, but they realize that health is a component of several different factors. And so how do we integrate those? And under IMCI that all of those things are attended to, that it improves the health of children and uh, is also very uh, the community component Uh, preventive brings greater health for that child, greater survival, greater um, reduces the mortality and morbidity of children. So it's really an important um, element. And countries around the world, the governments, the Ministry of Health, are adopting IMCI, so this is a basis. This is a a primary um, policy that they have. Uh, When Medical Teams International started working in Liberia, and that was right after the war, we worked alongside the Ministry of Health to, to institute IMCI. And, and then we moved it down to the community level. So there's two components, IMCI, but then community-based IMCI. So begin to think about this integration uh, of, of health care. And then community case management. This is it's fairly recent, but I think you've heard a little bit about Paul Farmer's work in Haiti and, you know, the uh, community health workers being able to provide medication to people in the community. The problem is that in the community, you, there may not be access. The clinic may be far away, and yet you you have a resource. Communities have resources. So providing education and training, then community case management allows someone to, to dispense medicines right there in the community without having to go to the clinic, but in a very limited way and with lots of training and support. Care groups is an incredible model that was developed by World Relief and other groups, other organizations uh, have adopted that and applied that. Medical Teams International has used care groups. World Relief has, um, Food for the Hungry has used care groups, um, and the, uh, it's it's very much it's a, it's like community health evangelism, but it provides it is um, provides greater reach, uh, and you, the coverage is amazing. What you can do with care groups, so it's that same kind of model but it multiplied many, many times. So the, a care group will start with a group, that just the one care group is like 10 to 15 volunteers, uh, and they're going to work in their community. So these are household health promoters. They don't have to be literate. They don't have to have any kind of education. But they regularly meet together uh, with project staff, and they receive training, supervision, and support. And then each household health promoter works with 10 to 15 households. So you have your care group of 10 to 15 people, and then each one of them are working with 10 to 15 households. So you look at your coverage and begin to see how your coverage in your communities is going to increase. Um, They'll be doing about 40 hours of work per month because they have their volunteers. So they're going to be doing, they're digging in their gardens, they're doing other things as well, but they're a resource person in their community. There can be multiple care groups uh, in a target area. uh, And they the the care groups um, are, through through the process of behavior change, that's how they bring messages of health to their community. And because it's in the community, because it's those community people and it's talking to their neighbors, it's very sustainable. It's going to stay there. That community person is not going to leave. Where we can go in uh, from the outside, we can go into community, be at the clinic, but we're going to leave. You know, we're not going to always be there, but this is a resource uh, in the community and it gives such esteem and it really, you know, enhances the dignity of people. And they teach households how to seek appropriate treatment. So it's not only getting knowledge, but also how to, when to get treatment. There are wonderful advantages of this. It multiplies effort in the community. It provides complete coverage. It's recommended to be done in a district where you're you're covering a whole district, um, not just community by community, but you want coverage in a whole district. Um, It involves peer support. So, again, you're getting the community involved working together. Peer motivation. uh, There brings some amazing changes in the community, and it's a sustainable system. As I said, in Liberia we were doing uh, a child survival project. So it was for over four years' time, and we used the methodology of care groups And we recruited through communities, again, working with the communities who identified their own people to be household um, health promoters, about 507, 507, 520 household household health promoters in a a huge district, our um, county of Liberia. And the county had about 128,000 population at that time. So we mobilized these over 500 community volunteers. They are from their community and identified by their community. And then they promoted all of the things that contribute to healthy children at the community level, uh, you know, appropriate infant and young child feeding practices, home treatment, care-seeking for common childhood illnesses. So, And again, they were empowering the, the household. They were empowering the people in these families to know how to get their children, how to seek health, when to seek uh, health care at the facility, but what to do where they are at. Uh, This shows an example of the care group model. As you can see, it really is a multiplying effect. As staff-wise, we had four supervisors, then we had 20 uh, community health promoters. Just 20, again, these are resource people out of the community, but they have a higher level of education, so they're able to make reports, they're able to do training, they're able to do support and supervision. Out of those, each one, each of those supervisors oversaw eight different care groups, and each care group, again, was made up of at least, um, you know, each uh, care group household health promoter would cover 10 to 15 households, and then you magnify that, and then there were a total of 520 household health promoters in 132 communities. So begin to think about the reach. That's what's so exciting about care groups, is it's from the community, and it takes very little resource on our part to empower everyone in the community, but we're reaching an entire population so that it's not just isolated, but it's rolled out through the entire uh, larger population, and there's no other way to have that kind of reach, you know, to be able to Uh, get to the households and empower them with knowledge about health. So it's a very, very effective model. It's been proven and tested in other countries. There's great data behind it. Uh, We worked, um, we tried to have a good blend, to have our our household health promoters be women so that we could raise their uh, profile in the community. Um, And one of the things that I would encourage is that it takes intensive support and supervision, that when you're working with community, you have to continue to keep them motivated, you have to support them, you have to do training and supervision because this is something that they're not really familiar with, but as you build their capacity, it's something that they really enjoy and want to continue on. We also use the care group model. We broke this down into just one district. We were doing the whole county, but for safe motherhood, so we wanted to focus just on the practices of safe motherhood. So we developed in that one district, Garula District, in um, Grand Cape Mountain County in Liberia. We did 16 care groups. There were 135 household health promoters, and we also involved 28 general uh, community health volunteers. That was an addition of the government. The government said, we're going to go to this model of general community health volunteers. You can continue with your household health promoters, but this is our new model as well. What had happened was that they saw the effectiveness through our Child Survival Project of using care groups to really get the health messages to the community, improve their, um, the community's health, but also their uh, care seeking uh, to the clinic. And it was so uh, effective that they said, "You can keep that. We just want to add this other component." And so we integrated that component from the government into our care group model, and it worked very, very well. And if you, um, it's really kind of interesting because if you go through some of the government do- ministry of health documents there, you will see household health promoter put in there, that they saw something that was really effective and they want and they like that model. They just haven't adopted it throughout the country, but they, you know, have seen the effectiveness of that. Uh, so in those, uh, we worked in 41 different communities with uh, that model with, um, for Safe Motherhood group. Uh, these are just some of the statistics that came out of that project. Baseline uh, institutional deliveries. That means going to the health facility for a safe delivery rather than delivering in the community. Uh, baseline was 37, uh, 34.7%. At, in, at, in June, about 18 months later, had risen, almost doubled to 64.82%. So you can see the effectiveness of that. And that's because you have reach, because you're really blanketing um, that district. Uh, the communities uh, with emergency referral system. In other words, we needed not only to recognize that people have knowledge, but they, there has to be a way for them to get to the health facility when there is a need. And 38 out of the 41 communities uh, as a, at the end of the project had a referral system. They had emergency, recognized the uh, complications and get that person referred. And along with that, there were emergency health funds. So we worked with communities to solve their problems. We did not solve it for them, but they came up with their own emergency transport. What are we going to do if a complication happens with these mothers? And for instance, sometimes it was just as simple as saying, we have a hammock. We will carry. We have a motorcycle. If you can imagine, a pregnant woman, a complicated delivery on a motorcycle, but it happens every day but they had a system, or they developed a a place to pool their resources, and they would pay, call a vehicle, and they would pay to have that mother transported. None of that existed before. So this really made a big difference, but that came out of the communities and their uh, will and desire to make those changes. Uh, And as I said, there were 135 household health promoters and 43 traditional um, birth attendants involved in that. Um, our care, uh, the care group model, this is a resource for that. We're looking at child, uh, at, uh, moving on to look at child health, the main causes of death among children under five. This, uh, these uh, statistics are from 2010 and I'm glad to say I looked at more recent data and they have actually improved. So we are making uh, an inroad into this uh, am- around the world. Uh, But I just wanted to point out the main causes of death, pneumonia, diarrhea, malaria, measles, even HIV and AIDS. These are all preventable. And when we empower the community and community uh, getting the messages out right down to the household, we can have a big impact on these things. But we also need the clinic to provide the care that only clinics can provide at that point to treat those illnesses. Talked a little bit about IMCI, an integrated approach for, uh, focused on children under five. It looks at the whole uh, well-being of the child, addresses diarrhea, pneumonia, malaria, measles, and malnutrition. Integrated approach, it has three main components. Increasing case management skills of the healthcare care staff. So we not only worked with communities and, and increased education there, but we made sure that when people came to seek treatment at the clinic, they received quality care. And part of that is just teaching uh, physicians or usually a head nurse, uh, a, a, a physician assistant at the clinic to go through a checklist, have you done this? These are all the indicators for integrated management of childhood illnesses. Did you perform a complete assessment of the child? Was the treatment that you prescribed the correct kind of treatment? Were you over-prescribing? Did, if you prescribed antimalarials, was there an indication for that? Was there a test for that? Or did you just think, oh, everybody you treat, you just give them an antimalarial? Um, so there is this checklist, so it makes sure that the the provider at the facility is following all of those, is providing quality care. Uh, It also helps improve overall systems because it's looking at that full health system and then finally involving the family and the community uh, in improving their health practices. And then we move that down. Again, that's IMCI uh, in it's total, but let's move that down from the facility into the community. Uh, looking at what are the needs and what are the solutions. And through uh, community IMCI, early recognitions, uh, care-seeking, immunizations, ORS or oral rehydration solution, uh, antibiotics, antimalarials, treatment of malnutrition, all these things are being addressed through one integrated um, approach. It focuses uh, typically on 16 key health practices within the household and the community, uh, CIMCI is very flexible, cost-effective, and responsive to community needs. So, again, it just gives this really intimate uh, ability to work in the communities. And uh, it's very, very cost-effective. Again, when you look at the care group model and then you put in as well CIMCI, Community Integrated Management of Childhood Illnesses, you have really got great impact for very little resource uh, because you're empowering your communities. And you know you're focusing on helping them to get so that they can stay and get health and stay healthy. This is a great um, diagram of all the pieces that are involved in CIMCI. It's the the framework there. You'll see element one: partnerships between the health facility and the community. So many times in the community, there's community health committees. At the facility, sometimes there can be another community, bot entity. They're making sure that the clinic is responsible to provide good health, that the health workers actually show up. You know, they're not like the clinic, uh, someone from the community would go and there's the, the clinic is locked. So there has to be advocacy. There has to be a good link between the clinic and the, and the community. Element two, increasing uh, appropriate and accessible health care and information Uh, from the community, those people who are working in the community, the household health promoters, the community health promoters. And what kinds of things are they doing, integrating these key family practices to improve the health and nutrition of children? So some of this is have a net, uh, a a mosquito net. Very, very effective. But it takes education, and, and it takes people going from household to household to share that information and to be sure that everybody under five is sleeping under a net and that the net is not being used to catch fish or other things because you can go to a community and you can hand out mosquito nets, but that doesn't mean they're going to be used or that they're going to be effective until you have that. When you're looking at the... um, The care group model, with all of that, you have accountability all along the way so that you really knowing that that is going to be adopted by the household and reinforced at at that level. Uh, Hand-washing practices, another one. Uh, Making sure that children um, know, you know, mothers know what to do when they children have diarrhea or children have pneumonia, that they learn how they can, um, you know, is is the child having fast breathing? Does the child have a fever? These are things that we all know in our culture. We look at these signs and symptoms and we go, oh, you know, we make a determination. Should we take our child to the clinic or no? Do we need to just give them some aspirin or what do we need? So this is empowering the community with that knowledge that mothers can make the, these decisions and, and have a good basis for what they, response that they need to make when their children are ill. So these are just some resources. I, I have a sheet of paper up here in the front, and so I put a list of those so you can come by and pick that up and, and look um, uh, for these various resources for uh, in IMCI, for community IMCI, uh, some of the materials and things. You can find that. Then finally, I'd just like to quickly talk about community case management. And this is a really an interesting um, uh, strategy that has been rolled out recently in Liberia and they started very slowly with what they were going to equip the community health workers to do, but this is providing treatment at the community level. In other words, they don't have to go to all of those obstacles to go from the community to the health facility are reduced because they can get treatment in the community. This takes intensive training of those community health workers uh, so that and they have to have a lot of support, a lot of supervision and monitoring. But they can provide treatment at the community level. They can hand out or help with ORS. They can, they're even doing treatment for malaria. So, they, when a child, the, the community health promoter is tra- trained along with the mothers uh, and the family of how to recognize is this, is this malaria? And with signs and symptoms of malaria, they can provide that initial treatment uh, right there on the spot, medicine, and then say, and you need to take the child to the clinic. So they've, there's a covering. There's an initial thing, and then they're supporting and giving that information, take the child to the clinic. Do you have a way to get to the clinic? Let's work with the community. What, what can the community do to help you to get your child to the, to the clinic because they will need more treatment, but this is initial treatment that we can provide there. So it provides re, regular access to um, treatment, antibiotics, rehydration solution, even zinc, anti, anti, malarials. Again, this is the picture that you will see of uh, community case management. Uh, it's, they have to be, uh, I'm highlighting appropriately, trained, supervised, supported, um, and it's just a really, really effective way to, again, breach that um, distance and, and reduce those obstacles. That's what we want to do. Uh, so community case management. Uh, in Liberia we worked with 129 community health volunteers we rolled out community case management for diarrhea and pneumonia and then later on we added malaria and that's how the government was rolling it out Uh, and it takes a lot again supportive supervision uh, bringing together your groups but you already have that modality if you're doing care groups you already have the structure to provide the training, the supervision the monitoring so that Care groups provides the structure, and the, these are some of the content that you can use that are effective, evidence-based, proven um, strategies to improve health of, of children and mothers. Again, some resources, uh, WHO, Community Case Management, also Core Group. Core Group is an amazing organization that brings together resources, does research, uh, provides training materials. Um, they're just amazing, and they focus on maternal and child health. And core group, um, I highly recommend going to their website. Uh, MTI, several of our staff are are, um, leaders in core group and contributing to that. But it is an amazing resource for maternal and child health. A lot of these things you will find there uh, and materials. Uh, Finally, I just want to mention that, okay, well, how do we do this? I mean, if we're sending volunteers and we're focused on community health and we're training and we're just working with community people and usually our volunteers are doctors and nurses and they work at the clinic, so what are our volunteers going to do? You know, how how, how are we going to do this? Because we kind of have a model in our head that our medical volunteers are doing direct service. Well, MTI is really strengthening a component. We've been, like I said, sending out volunteers for for over 30 years, but we're increasingly uh, capacitating our volunteers with the ability to do training So we can train those community health workers. We can train even people at the clinic in IMCI or train people who come for um, what we call training of trainers. So we have a TOT, and then that can be rolled down in in the country. So looking at maternal health, we send and equipped uh, midwives. Uh, Maybe they're going to talk about emergency obstetric care. So we go through a whole process of how do you um, train in a culture, how are you going to provide adult education? It's a different model. We just don't lecture. They don't have all the bells and whistles that we have here. So how do you take your education and your skill and transfer that into a model there? So we prepare our volunteers. We have a lot of resources, really great people on staff who provide that, uh, that guidance, Doing learning that we need to do assessments, what are the learning needs De- designing what curriculum are we going to use do we use what the government's already rolling out do we have other resources from other um, uh, places to use that curriculum so that we continue our volunteers are consistent in the um, the curriculum that they're using we can build on that from one one team to the next and really have a strong um, A body of training that's going so that it's not just an in and out, but we are capacitating those people in the community or the health workers um, to continue on in their work and have the skill. But it takes intentional work and training. So we do that with our short-term volunteers. We have a training toolkit. We, you know, use various curriculum. And assessments, monitoring, and evaluation, these are things we don't don't often think about because we're short-term. But these are things that need to be Uh, considered at the community level and at the local level uh, who you're working with, either if it's at the church level and the church clinic or if you're working with a a group in a a bigger area. But to think about doing assessments. What what is the baseline? What was it like when you started? What are the things you need to know? Where do you need to focus your education? Monitor it. How are people doing? Where are we at? And then evaluation to learn so that we know what we're accomplishing Um, Again, uh, the resources are are here up front, but I wanted to leave us with a few questions, and then I'll have time to answer your questions. What did you learn that was new, that was reinforced? What do you want to know more about? And there is so much here, and I just really did a really quick skimming of that, so please do your research. Go in, look at all these different models and strategies, and learn from them. And there's so much there that I could never you know, duplicate and share with you. So I encourage you to do that. How might you apply these models with partners, projects, churches that you work with in countries around the world? So be creative and think about that. How might you broach that topic? Say if you're working at a clinic and they don't really have the community uh, health component, they're just doing, you know, the direct curative services, how can you... Enlarge their understanding of that. How can you share this greater model and understanding of the the whole continuum of health, the individual and the community, but also the health system and how those are uh, integrated into one another? What steps do you need to take? Depending on where you're at and the information that you have, where God is calling you, where you're going to serve, think about what, what steps do you need to take. When do you need to do that? Again, I have resources up front. Um, and now I'd just like to take a quick, we have a few minutes here for, for questions. Yeah. Are, are all of these workers at every step total 100% volunteers? Yes. Not, not at the supervisory level. The supervisors are our staff. The community health promoters in some countries, government says you have to pay them something. But the household, at the household level, they're all volunteers. So, you know, you have to keep them motivated. Sometimes, you know, to do their job, we're going to say, "Oh, they they need a they want an umbrella because they feel like that is what they need to get when they're, you know, it's a rainy season. Other times they want a t-shirt because they say, "We need to be identified. People need to know who we are when we go into it. a t-shirt." And that's just so amazing to them that then they uh, can have that. So, yeah, it does uh, it, it goes through the whole Yeah, it just level training that you do there. It is. Um, You can do it on a volunteer level. Sometimes it's incentives. Like I said, it's not money. We don't reward them or uh, compensate with money, but it may be equipment, t-shirts, umbrellas, you know, boots to get from the a backpack to carry your materials in, uh, to keep your medicines in. Uh, that way. Depends a lot also on what the government is uh, recommending. Some governments say you have to pay at a certain level these volunteers in the community, but really working on it at a volunteer level. Um, Some uh, communities it's really, uh, you know, hard for them because they've had handouts. Well, here's this and here's that and no, you do the work and, you know, we'll be happy. You come in, you do the work. This really revolutionizes that and so sometimes it just takes time and education. You know, patients, working with people, but it is a volunteer. It's based on volunteers. Yeah, back there. Okay, good question. What, how much of a problem is a volunteer bro- uh, dropout? And in, of the 520 household health promoters that we had in Kenya, I mean in Liberia, we ended up with 502. So it was very low. Now, we did have to, to in some cases, re-recruit But it's the motivation. You have to keep them motivated, and it's constant. You know, they're they're coming together in meetings is really encouraging. It's the peer to peer, um, really listening. What are you seeing in the community? What help do you need? What obstacles are you facing? Really supporting them. You can't just teach the train them and let them go. I mean, because we, I mean, human nature. That's not going to work. And you know, also we saw it was seasonal because when it's planting season. There are certain times when the you have to you know have accommodation for that, but it's to keep people coming back because they and communities themselves they have said well if you're going to be our uh, you know our community volunteer then we're going to help you with your garden or you know um, another thing was we'll help you you know you're going to set up a little shop to have some income because you're giving 40 hours a month to volunteering, therefore you need some. And so we helped some of our volunteers then set up a little shop where we gave them things to sell, uh, access to things to sell. So the motivation was more not the umbrella, but something they could sell, salt or, you know, something like that, that they could, soap even, uh, providing soap. And they could sell in the marketplace that reinforced a lot of what they were teaching. So you have to, you know, consider that. But, uh, yes, you have to keep them motivated. You know, we would be the same way. <laughs> Other questions? Yes? Uh, wh- where and how do they get the medications to community health workers and do they charge for that? Or? Okay, excellent question. Where do these community, doing community case management, where do the health workers, or the community people get the medicines? Is there a charge for that? In many countries, child health, maternal health is free. Um, and so those medicines, would, you could access those from, from the Ministry of Health. But we all know that in the Ministry of Health, sometimes those supply chains are broken, and so we might need to augment that. But we don't ever want to replace what should be there and should be working. And if the government, the Ministry of Health, has said, this is our model, this is what we're doing, then they need to have the the supplies and the medicines. So you have to advocate. And so we provide a way of advocating, but through the health system, working, making the health system work. Uh, And so, yes, community case management is only effective if you have the the commodity, the treatment available. So that's really important. If that's not going to work, then that's something you don't want to get into because that will really uh, degrade the whole idea of that. Um, and is there a charge? It depends on the country, the community. Um, it just depends on a lot of things. Sometimes there could be a small charge for that, um, and then it, the supplies can be re, uh, resupplied, you know, based on what is charged, and the community can participate in that. It just depends on what the government wants. Okay, very good. Yep. Thank you. Thank you.